What is it about the sea that we find so mysterious? Lore about sea dwellers stretches back centuries and centuries. Could it be man's desire to conquer that unknown world that makes him imagine human-like beings already there? Long before we began searching space for intelligent life, we wondered about the ocean and what mythical creatures roamed below the surface. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. The dark sky mimicked the cloud of sadness that had been settling itself into every tiny crevice of my life these last six months. Through the window, small specks of hope pricked its surface, but they were so, so very dim. Labyrinth, my cat, curled around my shoulder, stepping from the footboard onto the back of my desk chair. I wanted time to move forward, carry me away from this place, this miserable setting that my life story had moved me to. Guilt nipped at my heart, at the thought though, how can I dream of a future if I had the ability to shift time, make it yield to my desires, shouldn't I push it backward, warn him of his fate should he step aboard that ship? I would tell him, I nodded, affirming my thought. Yes, I'd keep him from leaving. I'd save him, and he'd love me for it. He'd said he'd love me already, but we both knew that he didn't know me. It was an arrangement made of our own volition, our own selfish ambitions to promote our statuses. We were nothing more than thieving, rank-seeking souls that this world so often creates. Labyrinth purred as I gently ran my fingers down his velvety fur. Candlelight from the chamber stick flickered in his eyes, causing them to glow a mysterious yellow-green. He jumped on the desk, stealth-like steps across the oak. At night, he reminded me of a shadow, a small, quiet, but ferociously willed one, nonetheless. During the day, he was just another tomcat, unremarkable save his affection for me. I couldn't help but wonder if he saw me differently in the darkness, too, in his strikingly bright eyes, than he did during the day. Did he think me unremarkable, too? Dear Jack must have. I wasn't blind to his already before we'd even exchanged vows, wandering eyes. Our marriage would have been a disaster, no doubt. My mother so much as warned me so, but I'd been too silly to heed to her concerns, thinking prestige, becoming the wife of an English captain would provide the wife I'd always dreamed. She'd begged me to wait, assured me that other offers would come, and promised me love was worth the wait. I wasn't so sure love truly existed. 
especially in the way Miss Austen's novels depicted. Labyrinth pawed at the lachymetry I had resting on my desk. Jack's grieving mother, poor woman, had been beside herself at his funeral, gave it to me. Losing a child must inflict a pain like no other. At first I didn't know what to do with it, wondering what a small glass vial could practically hold. It's for collecting your tears, she'd said, as one tear escaped her bright blue eyes and rounded her cheek. She held her own vial to it, allowing the tear to roll into it and settle at the bottom of the glass. When the tears disappear, the mourning period is over, she added, then she dabbed her dark lashes with her delicate, embroidered handkerchief looking a decade older than she did before the tragedy. Tragedy, yes, that's the word. Maybe not for me, but for others, and rightfully so. Heavens, I'm an awful soul. Labyrinth's back curled upward as I stroked him. He purred for a moment, then swiftly pawed at my hand, nails biting into my skin. We both have our fierce side, I reckoned. I took the lacamatry into my palm. The few tears I had collected still rolled around the glass. How much longer must I wait before this too would pass? I held it up to the window, allowing the moonlight to peer through the clear glass, through the tears. It'd just been a long day, I reasoned. I mustn't allow myself time to lament. I needed air. I slipped the bottle into my pocket and made my way through the dark, quiet house. The world was sleeping, it seemed. The night was quiet, save the lapping waves of the sea. The sea. As I pushed my way toward the water, I asked for forgiveness. Pled with God to forgive me for my selfishness, for feeling more relieved than grieved by Jack's passing. How could I be so very cold? Perhaps my heart was buried with him, never to return. The sky looked even bigger as I stepped onto the rocky shore. The stars seemed larger here. I closed my eyes, allowing the sea wind to sweep me, hair flying from its pins, but I didn't care. It was just me in this moment. No one else existed. No one else. I dug the vial from my pocket and poured the tears into the wave and watched the ocean swallow them up like nature's mouth drinking away my sadness, reminding me of a child drinking the freshly fallen rain from the sky. Freedom. My cheek felt cold suddenly, the swift surge of emotion taking me by surprise. I wiped the wayward tear and flung it into another wave, which hastily washed it away. I had no right to cry, to feel sorry for myself, but I did. So this is what grief feels like, mourning the life that could be, that once was. I knew I couldn't hold on to this any longer. Life must move forward. A splash broke my attention and I scanned the coastline for the source. 
but the moon had grown pale. You must be Olivia. A whisper came from behind. I slowly turned, afraid of what I'd see. Defensively, I wrapped my arms around me. A cold rush of air blew as I shifted. The breeze, icy, unseasonably so. A man stood before me, wearing only some sort of skin around his mid-region. His body appeared sculpted, like some carefully chiseled piece of marble in a museum. Too beautiful, too perfect, to be real. His light skin radiated under the moon. I am, I managed to say. He took a step closer, tucking his wet, black-as-midnight hair behind his ear. I've come for you. For me? I asked, taken aback by this. You sent for me? His tone held a question. But I did no such thing, I said as humbly as I could and rubbed my bare arms, fighting the chill. Your tears found me, he said, and took another step closer. Tension grew between us, and feeling nervous, I resolved to go back home. It wasn't safe to be alone here with a man, let alone one as foreign as this one. I swallowed hard and scurried across the rocks around him, careful to balance myself with each step. When I reached the sand, he called out, Why are you leaving, Olivia? It's late, I told him and focused my attention toward the direction of the house. Wait, he said, the voice close, and then I felt a clammy hand on my elbow, which should have frightened me. How did he move across the rocks so fast? But instead, I was eerily calm. He turned me toward him, and I lost myself in his black eyes. They swayed and rocked, like they held the sea within them, mesmerizing. The sea brought me to you, he whispered. But it was the sea that took something away, that changed everything, I told him. The familiar sting of tears burned not for my loss, but for the loss of time, a life altered. Maybe it was all to bring you here, this night, to this moment, to me. He leaned forward, his hot breath on my lips, his perfect mouth pressed into mine, and I forgot. Selkies, or Silfolk, as they are sometimes called, are mythical beings that change from seal to human by shedding their seal skin. Their origins go back to the mythology of the Northern Isles of Scotland. There are about 26 inhabited islands and landscapes that make up the Northern Isles. The ground is rich and fertile, with rolling lush green knolls and a mystic rocky coastline. It very much looks like a place that would birth amazing stories, and is indeed rich with folklore, much like all of Scotland. Selkies, according to Orkney tradition, come from large seals like the Greenland seal or a crusted seal. 
Selkies cannot turn into their human form without first removing their seal skin, and it's only when they put the skin back on that they can return to the sea. The legends regarding female Selkies are similar to the lore of Swan Maidens. Swan Maidens shift from human to swan, while Selkies change from seal to human. Both female Selkies and Swan Maidens often fall prey to the hungry eyes of human men. They watch as the creatures bathe or rest on the shore, naked without their mythical skin. In order to render the ladies helpless, the men steal their skin, leaving them unable to flee. Like many stories about ladies in history, the tales of our Selkie ladies are sad because of exploitation. In many versions, the females are lured into relationships or marriages with human men who are keeping their skins hidden so they will be forced to stay. Sometimes, the female Selkie has a mate of her own kind that she has left behind. Occasionally, that's on purpose, but not always. Her human husband doesn't usually show much concern for taking her old life away from her. She's kept in a sort of bondage, not fitting into this world and never being able to return to the sea, her home. It's not uncommon in the bits of folklore, like in the tale told by a resident of North Ronaldsey, that a bachelor falls for a lady, Selkie, and steals her skin, only for her children years later, which she shares with him, to someday find her skin, possibly a strange-looking coat in the attic. Stories of the children finding their mother's Selkie skin often lead to the Selkie leaving her human family behind to return to the sea and the life she once had there. In the tale of the Selkie wife, a Dearness Parish version, the human husband locks her seal skin in a chest. But in this one, the Selkie says it was, quote, better to keep her Selkie days of old behind her. She may have had good intentions, but as soon as she unlocks her skin, she leaves. In the children's versions of the tales, the Selkie mother returns sometimes to see the children, or maybe she just sees them in her seal form, hovering and watching from the sea. Male Selkies, on the other hand, are not usually lured into such traps. In fact, they are the traps. They tend to prey on lonely women, both married and unmarried. Many of the married women encounter the handsome male Selkies while on the shoreline, waiting for their fishermen husbands to return from sea. Unmarried women would often shed seven tears into the sea, in a sort of code to the Selkies that a woman wanted their attention. Male Selkies seem to have a similar story to the tale of Tam Lin, which we discussed in Episode 3, Pinafore and Foxglove. They were thought to have magical seductive powers. 19th century Orkney folklorist Walter Trail Dennison described Selkie males as, quote, often making havoc among thoughtless girls and sometimes intruded into the sanctity of married life. There are instances where a woman would go missing, 
and it was then assumed that she'd followed her selkie mate to his home, deep within the ocean. Or, if you're a skeptic, she ran away with another human man. But it's lots more fun to imagine a home under the sea, isn't it? As mentioned earlier, selkies and humans can produce children. These kids would have webbed feet and hands. In some cases, the skin would be rough and need clipping regularly. In the ages before medicine and proper documentation of abnormalities, this would often be the excuse for why children would suffer from certain ailments or deformations. More to come, but let's take a moment to hear about another awesome podcast. Hey guys, I'm Sarah. And I'm Stephanie. And we're the hosts of Dead Time Stories. Dead Time Stories, with a Z, is a weekly podcast where we tell you stories of ghosts, hauntings, mysteries, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, the generally eerie, spooky, and all around weird. If you like scary stories, witty banter, and classy broads, we're your ghouls. Gals. Gals. Some of our stories include Eastern State Penitentiary. No. And where is it? Does it sum up 12? The Gettysburg Dime Museum. They were like, show starts at five, Mr. President. He was like, thank you, five. No, 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 seven. He was like, thank you, five. <laughs> fort Mifflin. So the Americans burned down their own fort. They were like, oh, you, 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 want, this? you want this? Come Wel- and get welcome it. Welcome to Philly. <laughs> and more. New episodes are posted Thursdays at midnight on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Listen and subscribe, rate and review today. Other details from various places about Selkies have been documented too. According to Alan Jom, Selkies are, quote, said to have been supernaturally formed from the souls of drowned people. Orkney Jar, a site devoted to the heritage of Orkney Islands, says that Selkies appear in their human form at Midsummer's Eve. In some places, it's believed they can only return every seven years which is reminiscent of divine timing. In the story of the Sill Woman of Faroe Islands, every time a human killed themselves in the ocean, they became a seal, and they were able to return in their human form once every year. One thing that the female and male Selkies have in common is that they are irresistible to humans, which reminds me of tales of sirens Selkies do find their way into the class of sea folk, but unlike sirens, who lure sailors to their death, Selkies are a softer and more gentle creature. Their sole purpose isn't to destroy, rather to enjoy. Selkies and mermaids, though, have occasionally been intertwined in folklore. Unlike the animal groom motif, that's often used in fairy tales, where the woman's virtues cures the beast, also known as the man, and helps him find his way to a decent human being. A selkie tale almost always ends badly. They are a twisted romantic tragedy. No happily ever afters here, despite their gentle nature. One reason for that is that it seems as though Selkies like us have a persistent, and perhaps even stronger, draw to the ocean. 
but is there any truth to the idea of selkies? In early history, Finnish women would wear seal skin to keep warm, and they also used it to make rafts. These dark-haired, beautiful women often married Scottish men. Finnish women's close connection to seals may have helped birth the folklore. If you can imagine a woman out by the sea allowing her coat to dry on a rock, her coat of seal skin beside her, and she looks beautiful and foreign, it's not hard to see where the story may have came from. Island dwellers have always reported standing by the ocean and feeling like they're being watched, only to see these human-like eyes watching them from the waves. Even now, people still feel the seal's eyes piercing on them as they walk, so it's not a stretch of the imagination to see why people of our past may have wondered why they were watching. This is how stories like these are born. It's our wandering, that strange, mysterious connection to something, that birthed the best folklore. I've always struggled with tales of mermaids in folklore because it's difficult for me to imagine a tangible world, something relatable, underwater. I think that's why I really like the idea of selkies. What has been written about them predominantly takes place on land with human interaction. While researching, I couldn't help but notice the similarities to how the female selkies must have felt to those of women who married foreign men and were moved so far from their families. I wonder how lonely and sad it would be to be so far removed from everything you know. I also wonder about those who were forced into marriages, loving their children, but finding it difficult not to resent the situation they suffered. One thing lore tends to do is make monsters or in this case, creatures of things that are difficult to talk about. It wouldn't have been acceptable to talk to friends about how you missed home so badly that you secretly wished you could pack your things and never look back. No, those words were kept locked away in the chest of secrets in their hearts. And that's what stories are for, to freely explore the things we've kept in the darkness. This is why we create monsters. This is why we create creatures. Beings that are so far removed from us that our secrets are safe. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoy dark, mysterious folklore, you may also like my books. To see a list, visit fablecollective.com. Want to contribute to the show? Become a patron and receive bonus content and episodes for as little as a dollar a month. And be sure to say hello on social media at Fable Collective. As always, thank you for listening.